everybody can just to leave the platform just let maybe one or two is going to help the people. Then if anything does happen, then I'm, we're better prepared for it. You understand, don't you? Trust that you will. I've done all that I could this past week to, or both weeks to try to see our Lord and help you dear people here. There's been many things that I wish would have taken place in May, yes, tonight. And I pray that it, that it will. And I have been trusting to see everyone healed at one time. Now, in the meeting, I see many things that have been done. Many things that people, I've seen sitting out there sometimes looking at me, trying their best. And I'll think, boy, I've seen it, they were healed, but I'll catch them in a few minutes, but it's done past my mind. I'll forget about it, and they're healed. For instance, there was a little girl here the other night. She was in the building. She was suffering. She was probably wasn't over eight or ten years old. She may never be back in the building again, as far as I know. But the child had a burst appendix. The parents didn't know it. The appendix was bursted inside the child. That baby's healed. It was healed sitting here to me. I know that. There's a lady here who's got a little baby has got a, a affliction on its arm. And it's a very serious thing. They had it here last night. I've seen the baby sitting before me. That baby's going to get well. That's right. That's right. But there's many of those things that I, that I, I see, but I don't have time. But what it is, friends, that, that doesn't mean so much. The thing is, as long as their faith will touch God, they'll see themselves that it's done. You see? So, and so if I speak it, what I speak here confirms what I'm talking about. If I speak not God's word, but I, I have a witness, and God is my witness. I'm thankful to have my brothers as, as witness of the gospel, but I have a, a witness with my brethren and my friends, and I have a, the greatest witness is my Heavenly Father, who confirms what I'm saying to be the truth. And I'm so thankful for that. And it isn't I that does the healing, which you know. So to say it to the people, as long as I see they got healed, that's all I care for, you see, to see that they got the blessing. Now, tonight will probably be the greatest of all the nights. The great anticipation, the great strain, the people pushing, trying to get in, trying to get healed, will be the, the great time. And many will be healed tonight. I just have a feeling that tonight will be one of the greatest times of healing we've had in all the meetings. And I, I believe that it'll be tonight. Now, as we're speaking today of life story, now while I'm, I'm telling my part of things, and I know that I have many fellow citizens here that have had life manner things. And let us all, how many people here is away from home? Let's see, this is not your native home, let's see your name. You're from some other city somewhere else. Oh my, half of us, oh more than half, is away from home. And no matter what city we're from or where we come from, if it's just a little, as the minister said the other day, the little church in the desert, he was pastoring. No matter where it is or how humble it is, it's like the old proverb or the old song, there's no place like home. Isn't that right? No place like home. And if you'll notice, always before uh, people die, you, you'll notice they'll always have a longing to go back to the old home place again. 
my father, before he left, he had been bound to his old home place for many, many years, some 25 years, I guess. I seen him sitting on the bean of, of the plow one day. He was crying. I was just a little lad. I didn't know very much about it. I said, what's the matter, Dad? He come over and said, you don't understand, Billy, but someday you will. He said, I want to go home. I, I want to see the old home place again. You know, it wasn't a little bit that he, after he visited his old home, he, he went away. My father-in-law, he went squirrel hunting one day, and I said, he said, Brother Billy, you want to go with me? And I said, no, Brother Frank, I don't want to go. He was born up above Utica at a place called Battle Creek. Old home place is an arsenal up there now. And there was uh, an arsenal, Indiana arsenal there. But that was just before the arsenal was built. He went up there, and he come back down, and he, he was crying. And I was going with his daughter, and I said, what's the matter, Brother Frank? He said, Billy, I set up on the old place up there today, and he said, where the old house used to stand to the old spring along over on the side of the hill, but I could just hear my old mother say, oh, Frankie. Well, a few days out there, maybe it was. A call coming from another land, you hear the echoes across the earth. Did you ever notice a person when they're going? I stood by many persons, held them in my arms and watched them when they were going. I find this very strange. Please, ministers, excuse this. This is not a doctrine. I don't want this congregation to think that this is a doctrine. But I often wonder if when we are going, I'll give my story first here. I stood by a man up some five or six years ago when he was going. He had just been saved a little while. He was sitting in a chair. He was all swollen up with heart trouble. He belonged to a certain church there in the city. And I said, went to him, I said, how do you do, Mr. Bledsoe? Do you know me? He said, yes, I know you, Billy. He said, Billy, I think I'm going. I said, are you ready, Mr. Bledsoe? I said, oh, yes, Billy. I've, I've made my calling with God. I've answered the call. He said, I'm ready to go if he calls me. And said, I believe he's calling me. I said, well, if you're ready, Mr. Bledsoe, are you willing? He said, yes, Billy, I'm willing. And I had prayer with him and went out and was talking to his wife, sitting here in his living cross room, talking. And we had just been in prayer and the Holy Spirit was in the room. And he raised up. He said, Mother, why, I haven't seen you for years. The special said, Dad, are you delirious? He said, well, don't you see her? There she is. He said, Sis. Wasn't a little bit that he was gone. I went to a man here some time ago, killed in an accident. He was just dying. He'd come out of the accident. Like manner. I've seen many of them going that way, and I just wonder that if when we're coming, even death is hard, Jesus fought against it as the possible this cup should pass. But when we're coming right down to the end of the road, and I watched my wife when she went, and I, I wonder when we get to the end of the road there, if God just doesn't say to a mother or some of them on the other side, look, daughter's coming home this morning. Go down there at the bank of the river. Watch for them. We get to see him when these eyes are becoming transformed from the natural to the supernatural. 
in that vision when it's catching on us. If the fog just drives away there and we can look the other side and see him coming down to the river. I hope that's so. I don't know. I couldn't say it's true. I don't know. But I've seen that many times. Our loved ones pass on. Many of you here, most of you are more like myself. Seems like yesterday I was this little bitty old boy. And here I am, I look at my hands and I think, oh my. And I, I see myself as it's creeping along. I'm getting up into years. I mean, well, it seemed like yesterday I just, a little boy playing marble. But here we have no continuing city. But we're seeking one to come. The builder and maker is God. I think of when I was a little boy, we used to live in a little old cabin. There's a bunch of trees around it, a little old uh, apple trees and some big ones. And I remember Dad used to come home from work. He was a real full-blooded Irishman. His black, wavy hair, blue eyes, small man about my size, but his dirty, husky build. He was a logger. I've seen him roll his sleeves up like that, and his muscles in his arms. Oh, my. I want to be like my daddy. And I thought, my daddy will live to be 100 years old. But he died with his head on my arms at 52. We don't have any continuing city here, but we're seeking one to come. I used to look at a little old house we lived in, a little old log house, boarded over. I thought that house will stand for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, but there's a housing project there now. We don't have any continuing city here. I used to see out in front of the door when a bunch of little brands, there was ten of us in the family. Nine boys and a girl. And when there's about five of us, when we, I was begin with my life story there, we used to have a place water off out in front of the grant of the porch. Looked like where a bunch of little possums had been playing, watering around all of us. Mama used to call dinner and she was, had a big old kittle. Did you ever see one of the big old kittles had three legs, great big old chimney put everything? How many of you ever seen one of those kittles? Oh, oh my, just look at that. <laughs> We all know what good eating is then, don't we? Just as slick as it could be on the inside. And she'd cook mulligan stew. That's very Irish. How many know what mulligan stew is? <laughs> Says beef, cabbage, potatoes. There, there you are, carrots. You got it. Put it all together. Cook it up. <laughs> and then let it sit for two or three days. Keep eating out of it. The last day was better than the first because the cabbage got the taste. Potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. Mix it all up. Dip it out with a teacup. <laughs> yes, sir. Mommy said a big old dipper. And we had a spring down below the house, and, and I used to go down there and had a gourd. Used to dip the water up in an old cedar bucket with a gourd. How many know what a gourd is? Hey, I'm not the only country boy here today. <laughs> no, sir, I feel better now. <laughs> Makes my clothes fit me better. <laughs> I don't like your talking about the house. All right. Have an old gourd, lay on that old spring, my, what a time. And back under a rock, had the butter sitting there, you know. <laughs> All around the, couldn't keep the cream there because there's too many little brands. <laughs> yes, sir. We all liked it. So, Pop used to get 75 cents a day, a bucket of milk every night. Mom would skim the cream off of it to save for the butter. And, um, so we had to keep it long sometimes and sour early before we got to churn it. We used to churn it in the 
have an old churn, had a lamp chimney sitting over top of it, you know, you flash her up and down. You ever do that? My, this look at your brother. My, did you ever grind coffee? Have the coffee meals up? Oh, my, that's good. <laughs> well, how many years from Kentucky, anyhow? Let's see here. <laughs> oh, well, anywhere we are, we're living in a different day now, aren't we? You press a button, the nation goes to work. <laughs> so, that was good old days, I guess. <laughs> Anyhow, we had a little more brother to love and feeling for one another than days than what we do now. And I remember when Dad used to make 75 cents a day, he'd come in home. Now, my dad, he did that which was wrong. He'd drink. And he'd go pay off his bills and what he had left, he'd, he'd drink it. And I hate to say that, and it's, uh, but it's truth. If I have to tell anything, I, I must tell the truth. No matter if it's black against me, well, it, it's black, that's all, see. If it's something scary to me, well, I might as well tell it here because it's going to be on the canvases of the sky someday for everybody to look at. Not only have what I confess it, but I've been lying. So I just really just go right along and just tell the truth about it, and let it be just the way it is. Daddy drank, not only drank, but he made them the whiskey. And when he would come in and home and, and drink, when after he'd get his grocery bill paid, so forth, he would he would drink up what he had left. But I don't care what he ever done. I love him today in his dream. That's right. He was my dad. And look, young children, young folks, I don't care what it is, you always have a respect for your father and mother. I think one of the awful things that I can hear those children say are young folks. The old man and old woman. Listen, that's not the old man and old woman. That's your daddy and mother. And someday when you see them going out of the room head first, and the wheels beneath the casket squeaking, you'll know it isn't the old man or old woman name. That's right. You hear the preacher say, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. You realize the best friend you ever had on earth is going down. The trouble is you learn it too late. Don't weep and cry then and send lots of flowers. Give them to them now. Be a good boy or a good girl. I remember when old dad used to come in, his shirt patch up on patch, and he'd stand up and sunburn his back into his shirt. The mama takes the scissors and cuts them from his back. 75 cents a day in Longwood to make me a living. Sure, I love him. Yes, sir. Every time when I pass to the grave and see the snow banked up there, I just feel like if I just throw myself down there. Warm up the ground where his body lays beneath there. But he's not there. I had the privilege of leading my daddy to Christ before he left. I've seen his hair fall back across my arms and looked up at me. And he went out to meet God. I baptized my mother just a little bit after my conversion. And last Easter morning, I baptized my boy. I got a little girl, five years now. She's been dedicated. She's coming on. And God lets me live. I'll do everything I can to see her baptized. My little boy now, I'm talking about out of high school. I'm going to send him up here if I can to the siblings of God or whatever it is up here in Brown Dallas somewhere to finish up his high school and on to college. Get him in amongst Christian people where he can work and people has got the Holy Ghost that will help him come through and put the right thing before him. And if he goes wrong, he'll go over the Bible, over the Holy Spirit, and over uh, Daddy's prayer and his praise. That's right. He'll have to cross over all that before he can ever go to hell. And I, I believe if you'll pray and hold on, God will answer your prayer. And my Daddy 
just before he left, he, he, he called for me. He had been, he had, poor old fellow, I hate to say this, he just killed me. He there, he died hungry. That's right. My daddy died hungry. And, and he was doing a time of depression. And we was couldn't work and couldn't find nothing to work. And he was sickly and we were just barely making them, just dividing what we could divide. But I know he was hungry because we hadn't eaten since the day before. And he had a heart attack. And I stood by his bed and I picked him up on my arms like I had to look at me. Went out to meet God. Every Sunday I'll see him again. Mother, she's getting aged. She won't eat very much longer. Every time I'm going to leave her, her old quivering lips when she kisses me. She said, honey, someday you'll return and Mother will be gone. I said, then Mother, I'll come where you are someday. I tried. I'll be up there. And so I remember when they were married, when they were young, when I was just a little bitty fellow. Daddy was 18 years old. Mama was 15 when I was born. Just children. And we were children with them, grown up with them. I think that's a good thing. I do. My little girl, when she gets to be any age, and she finds a good Christian boy that she wants to marry, I'd rather she'd marry him and settle down and be a lady and be out in some of these road houses running around and what they call having a good time. That's right. The Bible said, let your daughters marry young. Some's already turned aside after Satan. And I ain't meaning for little bitty kids to get married now. Let your father and mother, they know they're Christians, they can instruct you. I remember how we used to go to town on Saturday night. Go in and pay the grocery bill. <laughs> We'd all get a treat of candy. You remember when you used to get a treat? <laughs> oh my, that old peppermint stick candy, you remember that? All in that real candy? Oh my. <laughs> I remember we'd all get in the little old jersey wagon we call it there. You all call it buckboard here, I believe. We put some straw in the back and a whole lot of quilts and get in there and all that bunch of kiddies. We'd have a little old mule. We'd drive about seven miles down to the city. Stop. Dad would go in and his mother get to the groceries and come back out. And I remember they used to have a, a two-gallon can of coal oil. We burned the coal oil light. You've done that, haven't you? Many of you. Burned the coal oil light. Did you ever get to a place where you didn't have enough oil for the week to reach it and then pour water in it so let it get up there? So you, oh, <laughs> take a big old potato and stick it over the spout so it's going home, you know, and shake the coal oil out of the can and get it on the groceries. And the great days, wasn't it? That's right. So we remember going up, we'd sit there and when Papa would pay the grocery bill, he'd come out with a little stack of candy. Mr. Drawer would give us a stack of candy when we pay the grocery bill each week. And then we'd come out, and maybe it'd be about five sticks, or maybe four sticks, and five little blandons for the of them on. Boy, there'd be about five sets of little blue eyes, every one of them watching that candy. The stick was equally divided. Had to be equally divided. We'd break that candy, you know, stuff on it. I had a little trick I'd do. Hell, uh, Monday wasn't blue day for me. I'd take the stuff on my piece of candy a little bit, wrap it up in a piece of paper, and put it in my pocket. Then on Monday morning, Mama says, William? I say, yes, Mama. Yes, go to the spring and get a bucket of water. I say, Humpy, if you'll go get the bucket of water, I'll let you suck on my candy so I can count ten. <laughs> 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 I'd have this old piece of peppermint, you know. Listen, I guess tomorrow I could go and get me a whole box of Hershey's 
if I wanted to, but I, there's no candy like that. That's the best there is. Like when you're just a little kid, that old peppermint. My just longest candy lasted, I lost. <laughs> I'd keep that candy and wait for the for the work, something hard I didn't want to do, you know, and I'd get my brother to do it. Some of them, you know, they'd go ahead and eat their candy up and I'd save mine. I, I remember when Daddy used to shave. You used to have a shaving brush made out of shelf. How many ever seen a shelf shaving brush? Oh, somebody has. I shave with them. Take the old shelf like that. Did you ever have a shelf pillow? Where you take the pillow and strip the shelf and put it in there, wash your and straw, mattress, and take this old, had a little piece of glass drove up where we used to wash out there, you know, the old wash bench, and them little fellows would slick their hair down so tight on the bowl of the mouth open. Had an old bench built back behind the table. And Mother would call dinner, and all of us would go over the table and everywhere, getting up there, and she'd set the great big bowl right in the middle of the table like this, and, and bake the cornbread in the pan. How many ever eat cornbread baked in a pan? Oh, is that fine? And you know, I used to sit right on the corner next to Daddy, and we'd pass the bread, and I'd break the corner off so I'd get plenty of crust around when she was up and get it right on the corner. Go around, and you know, we broke bread. <laughs> now you cut it with a knife. Uh, you, you broke bread. You used to say, uh, Jesus broke bread and blessed it. He never cut it. So, and, um, so that wasn't our reason of it. We just break it. Each fellow break him off a piece and went around the table. And that great big old pot of beans there with a big piece of jewel in it. Mm. Say, you know, that would go bad right now. Look, that, that would be fine, even right now. That's good eating. Yes, sir. And then we would have a big day. And Sunday, we'd have a pudding. How many ever had the old sweet pudding, you know, used to make it up in the pan? They had a little, some kind of little jazzy stuff right in the middle of the pan, you know, and that was a rarity. Ah, we had to get a hold of that. Brother and I used to argue who'd stop the pan. Did you ever stop the pan? Oh, <laughs> We just looked like the kids growing up that argument. So we just get out there and stop the pan. My, what a time we would have. Now, I tell you, I put me in mind the old fashioned Holy Ghost meeting. But one good thing, we're not stopping the pan anymore now, are we folks? We're just getting the cake now, that's right. And God comes right down with us and gives us the foretaste of glory divine. And then, not long ago, I was coming out of a meeting, and I passed by and seen that old place. You don't know how it made me feel. I remember when I used to go to school down there, a little old fella. I didn't have no clothes to wear. And just ragged. I remember I went to school all winter one time with a coat on, a rich lady had given me and I didn't have no shirt. I took this coat that had a little old eagle on the arm, and I thought that was the prettiest thing, and, and I'd take this coat, and I had a big catch pin, I'd pin it up like this, so kind of got on to the springtime. It's all the hot. Teacher said, will you want to take off that coat? I, I, I said, I'm chilly. <laughs> I couldn't take that off, but didn't have no shirt. So she said, well, uh, you're probably catching a cold, William. Come over here to the stove. <laughs> wow. She put all that stove up over there, old country school, you know, and the sweat just running off of me. She said, are you still cold? I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> I couldn't get that coat off there. Or no shirt on. I just couldn't do it. I went home, and there had to be some arrangements made for that, you know, because I didn't, I, kids see me, I just said, oh, where is that coat on? So I remember one of my cousins, they come over to sit, and they had the three of them, two boys and a girl, and the girl's about my age, so she left one of her dresses there. I took the skirt part, cut it off real low down here, 
and put it on for a shirt. I went to school, you know, and had that little, you know, little stuff on it. What did she call it? Uh, rip rat. That's a rip rat. That's what it is. Little rip rat. All that on the sides of it. I said something wrong there, didn't I? What is it? That's what it was. <laughs> it was all over, you know, and so I, uh, some of them said, write it at me. And I said, why, what do you think that is? That's for my Indian suit. <laughs> 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 With all that stuff on it, oh, my, what a lie. <laughs> I remember in 1917, we were in school. Come a great snow in Indiana, and all it drifted sometimes, must be 17, 18 feet high. And it started raining and sleet. It froze the crust all some inch and a half thick. And all the boys in school were sliding, you know, on their sleds and things. We had two poor dads. We got something deep. We done well. So they, we didn't have, brother and I didn't have any sled, but we got us a big old dish pan out of the dump. We'd put our legs around one another and slide. We wasn't but classes the rest of it. We were sliding just the same. So we were right on down the hill, turning around and around around this little dish pan. That served as a sled to the bottom come out of it. <laughs> so we went out and got us a log. And we took top back and chopped it up like that. At the end of it, we made us a sled. We pulled this little log, you know, and was going to school. We got out there and I remember that winter there's a used to be a, a magazine that sold called Pathfinder. I don't know whether you ever remember the old Pathfinder. My, I might be talking to a lot of boys who sold it. Anyhow, that was the time of the war, and everything that was big enough to put on a uniform had a uniform on. Everything was all of the highest respect was for a uniform. And I used to see those soldiers come up the road. We had a big old sass brass pole out there. We'd run the flag up on it. We'd get that flag up and see all those soldiers have to stop and swoop that flag and put it back. It's cool, you know, and oh my, we'd have a big time out there. I'd see those soldiers, them rap leggings, you know, and everything. Oh my, how I wanted to wear a uniform. I said, when I get to be a man, I'm going to be a soldier. Well, I was too little then. When I had this other war coming home, I guess I wasn't man enough. I tried to enlist and everything. He wouldn't have me, so I finally got to join the Army, a uniform. I might not show it on the outside, but I got it on the inside. That's right. I joined the ranks of Christianity. In there, I have a uniform on called the Baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm in a great battle doing everything I can. Not I might not be able to, I can feel it, I know it's there, and that's the main thing. And Lord Ford, a friend of mine, he went to school down there, I guess Brother Curtis is laughing now, the boy that's here, one of my friends, remembers Lloyd, and he, he used to sell his Pathfinder, he got him a little boy scout suit, and oh my, how he, he looked so nice in that scout suit. I said, Lloyd, after you wear that out, will you give it to me? He said, yes, I'll give it to you. My how all that old suit lasted. Went on for a long time. One day I said, Lloyd, what about that suit? He said, well, Billy, I'll see if he's worth that. He come back and he said, let's see if he's He said, well, Billy, said, I tell you, he said, I wore it out. And my mama taken the, the part of the trousers and patched Dad's clothes and said, and uh, they made a dog pallet out of the coat and it's all gone. But I ain't got a thing of it left but one leg. And I said, bring me that. <laughs> I wanted something. So he brought his little old leg about that long, had a little drawstring in it. Many of you remember what it was. I wore that around the house, and I thought, oh, if I could only wear that to school. Wouldn't I, wouldn't the kids look at me, you know, with his leg and all? So I, I went out to school, and I put it back in my coat, 
I was riding down on the sled, on this old log sled, you know, down at the bottom of the hill, and the log turned over and over, and I wanted to get some excuse to put that leg in on. So, as soon as I said, oh, I hurt my leg. Not half as bad as I that tonight. I said, oh, my leg hurts. I said, hmm, all the boys standing around saying, you hurt yourself? Cornbreaker? Kentucky, huh? I said, yeah, I hurt my, my leg. I said, boy, that just reminds me. I've got one of my legs in my scalp too, dear. That'll help it a whole lot. <laughs> I put it on. They all got away from me. I went up. I went to the board. You used to go back to the to work the problem. Just wash one hand, the one they had to hold up to the teacher, you know. So I got around like this, and I put both legs together like this so they wouldn't know and hold up like this and stand sideways. So it wasn't a problem. Everybody looking at me with that leg and all. <laughs> All the kids got laughing at me, and the teacher made me go home. I got to cry, and so she run me home, so I had to go home. <laughs> oh, my. But, but I say, God finally dressed me up on the inside. I do have it on the inside anyhow. I'm American. I love my nation. I'm willing to go to war anytime he goes to war. It's just Branham after Branham laying dead around France there in Germany. That's right. Many of them are laying there waiting for the resurrection. And I'll... Sh- if it was unnecessary for my country, I'd be very happy to lay myself with them to keep freedom where we can have religion and like we've got it now. No greater nation in the world than our America. I mean that from my heart. Long may our lands be bright with freedom's holy life. Protect us by thy might, great God our King. But dear Christian friends, I'd rather be in the army of the Lord than any place I know of. That's right. Because I know that someday we're going to a land where there's a secret ages we'll live there forever. And uh, if I'm not man enough to be out in the army to fight with the armed forces, then God give me a job here to fight the powers of the enemy. And I have a soldier, after all, one of the ranks with you, dressed with your type uniform and your brothers in, in the service. Now, how the old days really tantalize us and many things happen that wouldn't have time to tell you along the road, but you know how it is in old school days. Wouldn't you like to go back there again? My go back just I wish I could live one day again. I wish I could get to that old table that my daddy built on top of a stump. And I, I would like to go back there and sit down there and just live one more day. I'd give all if I had a hundred million dollars laying on this platform. God knows my heart. And I realize that night after night I wrestle with demon powers and I'm not immune from them. They can come to me. Remember one time some boys who thought they had a gift of healing said to a man who had epilepsy, I jure thee by Jesus who Paul preaches come out of it. The devil says, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? Is that right? You have to watch what you're doing. Be sure that you're called for these things. And the man must jumped on and stripped the clothes off and run through the streets naked. Now, if I had this platform laying full of money, millions of dollars, and could pass it every bit away just to see one more scene, and that is, if I could see my old dad enter that tent right there, come walking right down this way and reach up his hand and catch me by the hand, I'd give everything I ever had in my life or ever would have. If I could just hold his hand one more time. The real things of life are right around you and you don't see them. That's all. You don't know it till it's gone. That's right. If I could just once more see Dad. 
but I can't. He's gone on. On down through life, many times I've seen in my little book there how the angel of the Lord appeared back in those days when I sat right on a keg when I was only about eight years old or nine, watching the whiskey still run all night long. Get right up and started down packing water back to this still. It was right there on my road back from the pump where the angel of the Lord spoke to me and said, Don't you never drink or smoke or defile your body anyway. For there will be a work for you to do when you get older. That scared me to death. I remember one day my daddy was going down to the river. He and another man. I was trying to find favors. This man called he had a good boat. I wanted to pull the boat. We got ten cents a dozen for finding bottles for them. There was the moonshiners that was fixing the whiskey. And I had a, an old paddle and went down the river to be up. We'd have to paddle. We didn't have no rudder on the old boat and had to bail water a while and so forth trying to get along to find the bottles of brother. Now, this man had a fine duck, y'all. Now, he acted like he liked me and I, I wanted to keep favor with him and we started to cross a little tree and Dad just set his leg across like that to cross over the little blowing down tree. And when he did, he stopped, pulled a little flat bottle of whiskey out of his pocket, handed it over to the next man to take a drink. And the other man taking a drink and handed it to me for me to take a drink. I said, no thanks, I don't drink. I was about eight, nine years old. He said, what? A brand and no drink? Most all brand died with their shoes on. So he, I said, no, sir, I don't drink. My daddy said, no, I raised one sissy. Oh, my, a sissy. I said, give me the bottle. He, my daddy looked at me. I took the bottle full of stopper out of it, just as determined to drink it as I am to finish up my service this afternoon. I turned that bottle up, started to take a drink. When I did, I heard them leave in that bush again going. That's the way it appeared to me when it first, it's like a roaring of leaves. Looked up and seen about the size of a barrel going back and forth through the trees. And there a human voice spoke to me and said, don't ever smoke or drink to buy your body. Uh, I said to me, don't smoke or drink. Now, I'm not preaching against one thing other he told me not to smoke or drink. If you smoke and drink and say you're a Christian, that's up to you and God. But he told me not to do it. Not to do it. And so I didn't. I've heard many people say, well, I, I drink a little bit of sociable drink, and I and I use, I smoke, and it don't condemn me. Well, <laughs> maybe you think went far enough yet. That's, that's all. You get a little farther on, you'll, you'll understand. That's right. That's right. You won't have no desire for that. And so then when I was stand there and I took the bottle just as determined to drink it as I could be. And I heard that go. I dropped the bottle and screamed and run up across the hill through the field and they laughed at me. And along about, I got to be about 18, 17, 18 years old, like all boys, I got a little girlfriend, you know. <laughs> you know how they go. I don't you man look at me like that. <laughs> you did the same thing. And you know how pretty she was, you know, she had eyes like a dove and teeth like pearl and a neck like a swan, you know, and there you are, right? You loved her, the prettiest thing you ever seen. Oh, she was pretty. And a little country boy that lived there by me, he said he could get his old daddy, daddy's old Ford. We had to jack the back of it up and crank it, you know, with that back wheel, you know, going. We got us a couple gallons of gas, we now had about 40 cents, and we got our girls and we were riding. So we went out. I was so bashful. <laughs> I sat with her on one side of the car and looked at her. She's pretty. My, she's from the city and she just moved out there. And I went, my, she's a pretty thing. And I look at her and I say, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Watch her, you know. And so we stopped to get some sandwiches. And I went in, got sandwich, get a ham sandwich for a nickel. So I got some coke and come back out and we started 
started eating the sandwiches, drinking the coke, having a wonderful time. I thought the bottle's back. When I come back out, to my surprise, my girlfriend was smoking a cigarette. Now that was just about time the girl started smoking cigarettes. Well, I've always had my opinion of a woman that would smoke a cigarette. Now I haven't changed it a bit. That's right. It's the lowest, most degrading thing that a woman ever done to smoke a cigarette. Worse than being drunk on the street. I watch your face get red. That's right. Listen, let me tell you something. Brother, that's the biggest fifth problem that we have in America. I'm not afraid about Russia coming in and whipping us or some other nation coming in and whipping us. We're whipping ourselves. Our own morals is degrading us. That's right. Brother, it ain't the ass, it ain't the robin that pecks on the apple that hurts the apple. It's the worm at the core that kills the apple. That's right. Now I tell you, brother, you let a woman get an old time case of salvation and you'll straighten her up. That's right. She quit doing it. Or a man either one. That's exactly right. Amen. That's right. Well, I'm not here to preach the gospel. These preachers do that for you. You don't want me to go to preach if you like that. I say that's me would have hate me, sure enough. Well, I believe in a real old-fashioned gospel as great as a man who woman up and makes me juke up the devil. That's right. And get right to God. That, that's just those. I was, I've been vomited up. Excuse that word. Oh, I'm just as sick when I'm juking as you are when you're vomiting. I'll think of that. So, so all right, some of them are fine words. I don't know much of them about them, but it's the truth anyhow. I'll tell you, you get God in your heart, and it'll sure make you fix yourself up. That's right. It'll bring the real thing out. I wanted to find a girl that didn't want nothing to do with one who smoked cigarettes. And you look here, I get statistics from the government. And it claims that 80% of the women that have their babies today can't raise them as mothers ought to. Cigarette-smoking mothers or babies don't reach 18 months old. They take nicotine poison and kill them. They have to raise them on the Bible on cow's milk. Talk about a fifth colony. What will America be? You're not long ago in a barber chair. And there was a fellow sitting there, and he was just a shaking and a trembling. And he got up and he said, aren't you preacher Branham? And I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, I, I appreciate it. He just smoked as hard as he could. I appreciate your uh, comments the other day on cigarettes. Then he gave me a story. He said, my father and mother both smoked. And when I was born, said I cried the first six months of my life. And said they couldn't understand it. And one day, when the doctor came, said, stand up. My father lit up a cigarette and was smoking and said, I quit crying. The doctor said, wait a minute here. So take that baby outside. So I outside and started crying. Brought me back and smoked a cigarette, smoked and killed me and said, I quietened. Cigarette nerves. I had to give him nicotines and that time. Said, look, you hear that now? I, I just can't stop it. My daddy and mother, oh, they were the cause of it. What will his children be? There you are. There you are, brother. I tell you, it's a shame and a disgrace. If you women smoke cigarettes for goodness sake, that they get away from it and stay away from it. Be a real lady. Right through the core. That's right. Yes, sir. Stop it right now. And I'll tell you now, if God don't think the more of you than the angel of the Lord does against that stuff, you'll have a slim chance when you get to the, to the gates of ever getting in. And that's, that's right. You don't have to do that. There's no sense of it. I mean, something to eat or something like that would be different, but that's something there's no, no need of, no sense of it. Now, watch closely as we have to hurry. I can start over on the gospel and forget about my life story. But anyhow, I remember her sitting there, you know, and she was smoking that cigarette, and I said, she said, blowing it out of her nose, you know, and that's far as I got 
bet you smoke it, put smokestacks on it. So he said, I'd blow it out of the road like that. I, that just degraded her to me right then. And she said, uh, will you have a cigarette, Billy? I said, my, I said, no, ma'am, I don't smoke. She said, you don't drink now, and you don't dance, and you don't smoke, so what do you like to do? I said, I like to go fishing and hunting, because that didn't interest her, so she was, you didn't care about that, she said, and she was laughing at me, she said, you big sissy, oh my, my girl called me sissy, I said, hand me that package of cigarettes, and I got a hold of one just determined to smoke it, God is my judge, when I started to light that cigarette before I was back the next, I heard that come again. And they turned, I got out of the car crying, and they turned the lights on me and let me walk up that road, follow me with the lights on me, teasing me and making fun of me because I was too much of a sissy to smoke a cigarette. It wasn't I was too much of a sissy, but God was preserving that gift for this day. That's all it was me. I was determined to do it. But God protected it. And that day for Thank you, honey girl. Thank you, sweetheart. Isn't that lovely? Let's say praise the Lord for the little girl. God bless you, sweetheart. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. God bless you, honey. God bless you. Look at her Well, God bless her. I want to give this testimony here. The little girl was unable to speak or anything when she comes four years ago, and she brought this as a little commemoration of her healing as she was healed four years ago. Let's say praise the Lord. Her husband is healed a few nights ago, said he'd be sitting near the post there, was called out with cancer, and he's healed. There he is, standing in the aisle back there. Let's say praise the Lord. Let's say praise the Lord for that. How wonderful. Her husband, that's fine, said he'd come up from down around Douglas or somewhere that, that the, from Brother King's church. All right. We're thankful to hear that, and that's mighty nice, a little commemoration to come back just to, to give it to me. One, a little Spanish girl, she was awfully afflicted, and she couldn't speak, and her little hands was uh, just grown together or something, there's a little stub there, I believe the child will be all right now. Now, back to the last story, when we were in the, uh, that night, the, the girl, when they turned the light on me and let me, walk up the road and I went up and sat down in the field and cried and I was ready to try to take my life. I said, oh, I just don't know. I, I'm ready to, to, to end this thing. I said, how in the world could I ever go through life and and everybody against me? Look like when I go home they had parties and so forth. Then when I would when I would try to get out with people, I was misunderstood. I never was understood right until I got amongst this group of people. That, that's exactly right. Then I had people who understood me and loved me. And then on down, some of you might wonder, being so backward and bashful, how I ever come to get married. I'll tell you about as quick as a pan. <laughs> oh, uh, that way, after that girl done me like that, I just tired myself against the women. I said, I didn't have nothing to do with them at all. And I thought that was horrible. I said, I'll never have nothing to do with any more girls. I'll never go out with one as long as I live. 
I'd go down the street and I'd see one on one side of the street. I'd call them over here on the other if I thought she was going to speak to me. I was really against it. So one day I happened to be out making a hide I had somewhere out of a tree and a car drove up and a young lady stepped out. <laughs> there it was again. <laughs> so there it all started. She had to be a Christian girl, my little boy's mother. And she started me going to church. And I went with her for about six or six or eight months, and she was such a nice girl, so friendly and nice and ladylike. That's the type of girl that I like. Only her father was, well, he done pretty well. He had a good job making about five hundred and something dollars a month on Pennsylvania organizer on the Pennsylvania Railroad. I'd make twenty cents an hour. He drove a, a Buick, and I had an old T model Ford backslid. So I. Quite a difference in the way we had to, to live. So I liked her and I went with her. So I remember, I know I had to either marry her or, or ask her if she would marry me or, or let somebody go. It's too good a girl to take up her time like that. She'd make somebody a good wife. So I didn't, I wanted to be, I loved her well enough, but I didn't want to ruin her life like that. So I said, uh, I got to make up my mind now and I haven't got the nerve to ask her. So uh, I said, now, what can I do? So I guess you wonder how I ever asked her. Well, I, I, I try to ask her, and you know how that great big lump comes up in your throat here and you can't swallow, you know, when you're trying to say anything? I'd say every time I go, now, I'm going to ask her tonight. Yes, sir, I'll do it. And I'd get to her, I'd say, now, ten minutes more than my watch, I'll ask her. <laughs> I'd say, but if you roll on by, I didn't do any good. I couldn't ask her. So I guess you wonder how I ever got married. I wrote her a letter. <laughs> I wrote her a letter, and I, now it wasn't a dear miss, it had a little more mush as we call it, and that. I wrote it, I remember I wrote her all out, I asked her if she'd marry me. I didn't have nerve enough to give it to her, so I just put it in the mail. So I put it on, on Monday morning, went on to work. I had a date with her for Wednesday night to go to church, and so I, at Wednesday night, began to come along, I, I, I began to think about it. What if her mother got a hold of that day? <laughs> And she didn't get it. And then her dad and I were very good friends. Her mother, too, but her dad was just a fine old Dutchman. But her mother, she was she was kind of a little prissy, you know. And she, I guess she's all right and a little trashy for her daughter. So I, she was a good woman, but I was just wasn't up to the place to marry her. That was all I know. And she didn't think so much of me, but... I tried to treat her nice, but I just couldn't get on the good side of her somehow. So, so I remember I got to think about it, and I scared her death to go up there that night. So I got my old Ford finally dressed up to the best and only, you know, and went up there and stopped in front of the house. I know better than to blow the horn. <laughs> oh, my. She was a lady. <laughs> yes, sir. If your girl, if you love her enough to go with her, boy, am I like a man. You get her, that's right. So I... I knew better to blow the horn, so I got it, walked out of the car and walked up to the door, and I thought, oh my, this is all of it. I knocked at the door like that, and all oh, my heart just raced as hard as it could, you know, and I thought, who's going to come through? I can just see her mother come through and say, William, I got that other on my. <laughs> so I said, uh, Hope comes through, and she said, oh, hello, Billy, and I said, hi, Hope. Her name is Hope, and I said, um, she said, come in. I thought, oh, oh. <laughs> They get me inside. Now I know I haven't got a running chance. What do I do about that? So I said, well, I, I, I'll just wait. I hear it's awfully warm. And she said, oh, step in. 
see me, and I thought, oh, please. You know how Satan can lie to you, you know, and tell you that's it, that's it. So don't ever, circumstantial evidence won't do every time you see your I stepped into my house with all my Sunday manners. My eyes just best that I know how to act. I said, sure is warm, isn't it? Ah. She said, yeah, I'll be ready just a few minutes. And so her, her mother come in, and she spoke just as nice. And I thought, uh-oh, she never got that better. Mm-mm. So then I got feeling pretty good. And so I went on down. We went to church. And she said, let's just walk to church tonight instead of going to the car. Oh, she got it. <laughs> Here it is. So we went down and walked to church. I never heard a word Dr. Davis said that night. He preached and preached, and I was sitting out thinking, yep, this is my last day. She'll tell me since you got here, that's all off now. I got your letter, and that's, you know how it means things, you know. You keep thinking, it'll be a reality to you after a while, you know. I could just hear her saying, this is all, and I thought, oh, isn't she pretty, isn't she a nice lady? Don't I hate to hear this time come? I could just hear what the preacher was saying. After service was over, we started walking on down home. She never said nothing. I go on when we come out from under the trees, you know, the moon shining bright, and I look over in those dark eyes, you know. I said, I hate to hear her say it, but I, I, after all, I got pretty brave. I thought, she never got the letter. It's just stuff in the box, that's all. Got the breathing better. I said, she doesn't need to kill me before now. She'd have got that letter, so I was going along, you know, feeling pretty good then. And I was talking around along, we walked along, she said, uh, Billy, and I said, uh, yes. She said, I got your letter. Oh, oh my. And then she just walked on never said a thing. I said, you did? She said, uh-huh. That's all. Just won't walk. You know how a woman can do. Just, just, just suspense. You know? She said, just walk on never said a thing. I said, uh, <coughs> um, <laughs> well, uh, did you read it? She said, uh-huh. <laughs> I said, did you read all of it? She said, uh-huh. That's all she said. She said, oh, I thought, oh, girl, do something. You're going to kill me. Just all like that. She just kept on going like that. And after a while, well, I said, what would you think about it? She said, it was all right. Well, we got married. We got married. That was it. When she was, I remember she told me I have to ask her mother for I said, honey, look, let us you and I make an agreement. See, we're supposed to be 50-50 on these things. You ask your mother and I'll ask your daddy. <laughs> she said, all right. Well, I said, that's all right. So I thought I could get by pretty well with Charlie because he liked me real well. And I, he understood me more. So that night I remember I had to ask. I sat there and I, my. Good time at all. It's playing the big role, you know. And I went outside. I got the door, and she looked at me. You know, I was trying to go without asking, you know. And I said, uh, Charlie was sitting there typing on a typewriter, you know. And it was 9:30. It's time I had to go. She said, uh, I walked to the door, and I said, uh, <coughs> Charlie. He said, Yes, Bill. I said, uh, uh, Can I speak to you down here just a minute? He said. Yes. He looked over at this and run back and she looked at him. Oh. <laughs> I said, here's where it all is, right here. <laughs> we went outside. <laughs> now I thought maybe Hope had already told her mother and her mother had done told him to say no, you know. So I had it all fixed out how it was going to be. 
Well, how are you, Bill? I said, oh, pretty good. I said, sure is a nice night tonight, isn't it, Charlie? He said, it sure is, Bill. He said, yes, Bill, you can have her. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I like him yesterday. <laughs> he just went home to glory to me. He said, oh, God bless his soul. You don't know what to say to me then. I said, Charlie, look, I'm as poor as I can be. I'm working down here at a ditch for 20 cents an hour. So I said, I love her with all my heart. I can't clothe her and feed her, dress her the way you can. But Charlie, I'll say this. I'll be as good to her as I know how to be. I'll work until my hands run blood to make her live. He put his hand over on me and said, Billy, look. I'd rather you have her and be good to her. After all, happiness does not consist of how much the world's good you own, but how contented you are with a portion that's allotted to you. Right. I said, well, Charlie, I'll be just as good to her as I know how to be. And we was married. And when we got married, we didn't have nothing to go to housekeeping with. She was very poor. I didn't. I, I was the one married her. And she was the one taking me to organize the sport. And we were happy. Just as happy, uh, some of the happiest days of my life. I just, uh, along during that time, I'd just been ordained to be a, a minister. I didn't have no churches yet, but we were just preaching around wherever I could, tent meetings and so forth. And I went to work, and I never will forget how we set up housekeeping. We went and rented two rooms for $4 a month. Two dollars, you know, there wasn't much. And some lady gave us an old folding bed. Did you ever see one in the folding bed? And I went out to Sears and Roebuck and got me um, uh, one of these little breakfast sets without being painted. And I remember I painted them, and right on the seat and on the table, I painted a big shamrock, <laughs> being Irish, you know. So I, I painted a big shamrock, and, and um, we went to housekeeping. I went over to Mr. Weber's, Brother Curtis, back there, one of his, some of his people, and he dealt and used goods. And I bought an old second-hand cooking stove for a dollar and seventy-five cents, and I paid. I believe it was a dollar for new grapes and put in it, and we, we started a housekeeping, but we were happy. We were as happy as we could be. We just had one another, and that's all we cared for. We loved the Lord with all of our hearts, and that's how we lived, just as happy as we could be. Now, I remember one day then I wanted to go on a little fishing trip up at Mishawalk, Indiana, and that was my first time ever come in contact with any Pentecostal people. And I went up to old brother Ryan's and went fishing on my road back. This heaven, uh, it was the, uh, the PA of Debbie, I believe it is, or PA of JC, I think the organization died out and gone now, but uh, reunited with some other organization. But anyhow, is a preacher by the name of Rao at Mishawaka, had the tabernacle. Some of you might know him, uh, Reverend Rao, well, yes, there's people with their hands up, no, Reverend Rao. Well, it was at the tabernacle. I was coming back and I, I seen such a crowd of people and heard such a noise and I thought, well, where in the world all that noise coming from? And I went down there, it's religious people. And they were just screaming and shouting and jumping and running and carrying on. I thought, what kind of a bunch of people is that? So I drove my old boat over one side, I only had about a dollar and a quarter uh, to live on, and so enough gasoline to get back home, about 250 miles, and I walked over there and went in, and those people, I've never seen such church manners in my life. My. They were dancing, they were running, they were screaming. Why, well, I said, what kind of a people is this? 
I thought I'd just slip inside the door and watch what they were doing. While they're clapping their hands and they're screaming, and some of them beat the tambourine, and some running up and down the boards, and some dancing and running out. Well, what's wrong with those people? Never seen anything like that. So I got inside the door, and I never rubbed off, but it began to get on. I began to look around, I thought, well, you know what? They're awful happy, awful free. They're just a little bit more freer than I am. So I said, maybe the Lord's got something I don't know nothing about. So I begin to look at them, and somehow I begin to get a love. I seem to love one another. And those women would grab one another and hug one another and kiss each other, and the man throw their arms around one another and hug each other. Well, I've never seen that before. I said, say, this is look good to me. Believe I just stayed. They said, we're going to have services tonight. So I had a dollar seventy-five cents. And I said, no. I got this man at least one more dollar of that to go home on. I leave you 75 cents. I can't rent a room. So I went out and got me uh, about two dozen rolls. And I said, I can live off these for a few days. I'm going to look around here and see what this is all about. So I went out and uh, got me a place, a cornfield located where I could sleep that night. I come back down to the service. And that night, he said, I want all the preachers to come to the platform. And I guess there's three or four hundred preachers got on the platform. They're having a conference. And they had to have it up there on the count of well, the southern states put metro colored and white together. So they just had it up there. And I know it was all them preachers. And that night, they had a main speaker. It was an old colored man. They had a leading out to the platform. Had on one little bitty uh, cutaway preacher cold shell with a velvet collar. Just a little rim of white hair. And a poor old fella come out there. And all them ministers that day had been speaking about Christ and how great he was and everything. And I was listening to them. They said, all preachers come to the platform. I wanted to sit down with them. When only had time, he said, just to have the preacher say, who he is, where he's from. I just raised up and I said, Billy Graham, Jeffersonville, sit down. He read something along like that. Went all along down the line. This old preacher come out to preach and said he had it. was going to preach the message that night. And the old fellow come out and I thought, poor old brother. He's just all crippled up like this. He come out and he took his text him over and I believe in Job 7, 27, somewhere there. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? See, when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. And instead of preaching what he done down here on earth, he took him up back on about 10,000 years before the world was there before him, brought him on down across to the skies and come down the horizontal rainbow back out in eternity somewhere. When that old fellow got anointed, he jumped up in the air, kicked his heels together, hard, whoopee! Walked over that platform, looked around, he had more room than I got up here, said, you ain't got room enough up here for me to preach. Walked up, I said, that's what I want. If, if it'll make an old man act like that, what would it do to me? I said, that's the thing I want. That's what I want. I said, my lot of wonderful people. I went out that night and I got out in the old cornfield and I prayed and I prayed. Nobody knows me. So I tucked my trousers and put them between the seats of the forward to press them, you know. Tucked the back seat out and the front seat out. Put them out. Probably you've done the same thing. Press them overnight. I laid down over there in the grass and I prayed nearly all night. The next morning they said they were going to have breakfast at 10 o'clock. I wouldn't eat with them because I had no money to put in the offering and I just had my rolls. So I, I eat my rolls and come by a hydrant down there and got me some water. Come on down. I'd been welcome, but I just didn't want to do it because I couldn't help them out. So I didn't have the money to, but I wanted what they had spiritually. And, I, and then that morning they started singing that little song, I know it was the blood, I know it was the blood, and oh my, this happened real time. So as they got to the all the jubilee part, then he said, uh, last night on the platform there was a, the, a young minister by the name of Billy Branham. I thought, uh oh. Said, uh, if he is 
in the building, tell him to come forth and speak for us this morning. Oh, I never even seen a microphone before. Now I sit back there with a pair of steer stuck or trousers on a little t-shirt. I just hunkered down real easy and So they said, that's all I come up again, Mr. Kirk. You all may know him. He has me from Cincinnati. Reverend Kirk, he's a short teacher. He was there to me. He said, uh, anybody outside know where we live? Ian Branham from Jeffersonville said, uh, when it comes to the platform, he's going to the church. I got out and he low like this. I sat up the side of the colored man. He looked over me and said, do you know that guy? I don't know. What was he doing? I was talking about I said, yes, sir. And he said, uh, well, go find him. Well, <laughs> what was he going to do? I just couldn't lie to the man. I said, hold over here a minute, buddy. I don't care He said, I said, I'm him. But I, he said, you is? And I said, yes. Yeah. I said, I can't even go up there. And I said, you'll be here, son. I said, I, I got on this steer sucker trousers and this T-shirt. I said, I can't go. I said, damn people don't care what you dress like. Get on up there. I said, no, no. And, and it was just a few minutes, Mr. Kirk said, anybody find me with that? And Colonel Man said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I'm going to tell you something. 
Looky here. I pulled out a long piece of paper. I said, they want me to hold revivals for them all over the country. She said, you? And I said, yes. She said, sure enough. Is that right? And I said, yes, sir. They told me I could hold revivals for them. And she said, well, I said, would you go with me? She said, sure. Bless her heart. She said, sure, I'll go. And that's a real wife. The women she took her feet. Well, now, when I started out to hold the meetings then, I was going to go to hold them. And when I went and told my mother, she said, well, God bless you, honey. She said, years ago down in Kentucky, at the old Lone Star meeting house, we used to hear the people shout like that a long time ago and had that kind of a demonstration. said, but it faded out. And, um, and I said, well, Mama, these people ain't faded out of them. I said, they sure have got up there. And so we went over things when we got to her mother, got to her mother, and doing, when we got over there, why, there's where the trouble started right there. She said, William Brown, do you mean to tell me that you would take my daughter out amongst a bunch of trash like that? I said, well, look, Miss Brown, they're not trash. She said, that's a bunch of holy rollers. She said, and you take her out here, starve to death? She said, today she might have something to eat, and tomorrow she might not have nothing to eat. But brother, I come to find out what she calls trash is the cream of the crop. And she said, do you mean to tell me that you take, said, and Hope started crying. And she said, mother, she said, I, 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 I want to go with you. And she said, very well, Hope, if you go, your mother will go in a grave heartbroken, that's all. And then Hope started crying, and, and there, friends, before my sorrow started, I listened to my mother-in-law in a fit of God. He was giving me the opportunity. And there, this gift would have been manifested long time ago if I just went ahead and done what God told me to do. But instead of that, I didn't want her to be angry, and I didn't want to hurt nobody's feelings, and so I just, just let it go like that. Just, well, just said, all right, we won't go. And right there, the power of sorrow. Immediately after that, my father died. My brother was killed a few nights later from that. I almost lost my, I lost my father, my brother, my wife, my baby, and my sister-in-law, and almost my own life within about six months' time. Just started going down. My church, everything went down, down, down. Hope taken sick. Just right after that, the 1937 flood had come on. And when it did, I got a job then. I once they were working for the conservation, I was patrolling out in the store when I, the floods began to come up. And you remember hearing hear many of us there and how people being washed away and things. And Hope taking six is going over to get me a, a Christmas present. And the box book of the martyrs is what I wanted for a Christmas present. And she got me a little fish box. And when I come in that afternoon, she was laying on the floor fainted. And I called our family doctor, Dr. Adair. And he, he came up there and he said, well, Bill, she's got pneumonia. And so he said, you have to stay up all night, Christmas Eve night. During that time, before that, a little girl baby, a little Sharon Rose, bless her little heart. She's been having a today. She'd been born in our home. Just the sweetest little thing you've seen, just a few months old. And so then I remember the doctor there told me, he said, you have to stay up, Billy, keep the children out of the room here. He said, stay up and, and, and give a lot of fluid that night. And I did. Next morning, your mother wanted to take her down to the house, and she didn't care so much about down there and taking her out and throw her into two burkers. So then, I remember the flood coming on, they rushed her out to the government depot out there for the hospital, and, and the, oh, that horrible night, it raining, twisting, blowing, now, brother, sister, you prosper to my mistake now. 
always mind God, no matter what anybody says to me. And I pray today that God in heaven who looks down upon me, standing here to touch on, will forgive me. I know that many thousands of souls I'll have to answer for that day for listening to somebody else instead of God. That's true. Now, I remember out there that night, they take me out to the government barracks where they use it for temporary hospitals. The floods were on and I was down trying to patrol. I stepped out to see her. She was sick and both babies had taken pneumonia and they were in there sick. And, and I rushed back there was calling me everywhere in the patrol car. I was in. I went out in town and, and I was coming up the street along about 11 o'clock and the old guy that broke through up there and down through the other part of the city was washed, just washed out and we didn't know how many was killed or, or nothing. Such a horrible time. Now I remember, I heard somebody hollering screaming. I looked way over there, past Chester Street, a big two-story building. Then he was shaking like this, and there stood a mother out there with her baby in her arms in the building going down, screaming for mercy. Well, I lived on the river, and I thought I was a pretty good boatman. I went and got my boat out of the back of my car and set it in the water, this little patrol car I had. And I set the boat in the water, and I got out there to her and got her to two or three other little girls in the, in the room. And I got them out. Just the time I got into the bank, I heard, she said, my, she fainted, she hollered, my baby, my baby, get my baby. I thought she'd left a little bitty baby in the room, and I'd left it. So I started back in the water, just a twist, and I couldn't hardly make it, and I finally got way up this way and come down and caught a hold of the, of the well, outside post and tied my boat and went in. The baby, she saw it by the baby, she's in her arm, about two and a half years old. And then when I heard the building go out from under me, and I run out real quick and I fell in the water, probably 25 feet, and I fell in the water and just got a hold of the boat like this to pull the, keep it from pulling my boat down too, and undone the, or loose the knot on the rope, crawled into the boat, done the thing, squeezed me like that, I couldn't get the outboard motor started on it, out into the river, I whirled right out into the main part of the current, me pulling and pulling, and it wouldn't start, then great waves almost as high as this building here, licking up like that, that little bitty boat like that, me out there right so high as falls, just about mile and a half below me there going right through them, which meant death at any minute. And there, brother, I had to think it over what was trash or not I was going out to see. There, pulling on that rope, it wouldn't start, and I'd pull again, and it wouldn't start. Sick wife and baby laying out there, just lost my daddy and everything. I knelt down the boat, and I said, oh, God, have mercy, have mercy. I don't want to die out here in this river like this, and I want to raise them children. Please, dear Heavenly Father, if you just let it start, dear God, and that boat rocking side to side like that, me trying to pull that, I thought, oh, it can't be this little piece of going to fall, and I know that was the end of all of it, things. Because then big waves like that, and they're coming back this way, taking me right into the whirlpool there, and it's seven or eight feet deep right straight down through there. And normal times, if anybody ever going there, that's all of it. Hang on those big rock ledges down through there, and they're starting to find their body. And so I was praying out when I said, God, I know I've done wrong. I know I oughtn't to listen to what I did. Please, dear Heavenly Father, just trying to start. And just in a few moments, he gave a couple of little splutters and started. Hey. Oh, uh, back in, I was going to come back and get all I could and heard cutting this away and saying my gas ain't hold out. Finally landed way down towards New Albany there, the other corner, and got in and went back and got my boat, or got my car. And when I got up there to find out about the mother and everything was all right, I flipped out to the uh, government hospital to find out how my wife was. I was going to talk to her about it. And I went out there and was just laying in a little army cop. And when I got there, it was all covered over with water. Where were they at? 
Then I started screaming to the top and I got excited then. Major Weekly, a friend of mine at the government, he walked up to me. He said, Reverend Graham? I said, yes, sir. He said, I don't think your wife is gone. He said, I think they got everybody out of there. He said, I think they went to Charleston, a city about 12, 14 miles above here. He said, I think they went out on a cattle car and heard pneumonia. It's sleeping, blowing like that. Two sick babies in them with pneumonia. One of them just eight months old. And I thought, oh, mercy. They were on a cattle car. Then I jumped in my truck and ran out there to get the road to go to Charleston. There's about six miles of water where the Lankie St. Creek had come through like this to get that. I run down, got in a speedboat, and I tried my best to get through those waves. I hit like this and would come back around. Like that, and I tried to get those waves, and out there, got cut off from everything. Out there myself. I stood out there in the room for about eight days where we had to drop me something to eat. I had a lot of time to think over and who I was going to listen to. God or somebody else. Well, these women, relatives, mother, whoever it was, you listen to what God's got to tell you. Mm-hmm. I sat there and I prayed and cried. I started off, and I met a man, he said, 
I know who you're looking for, Billy. Is a friend of mine. Said you're looking for a hope, aren't you? And I said, you know what you know about her? But, I mean, not a couple more to Seymour, Indiana. She said she's laying up there in the Baptist church of Seymour, Indiana, dying with tuberculosis. Laying by the side of my wife and I, or my girlfriend. And I said, dying with TB? Said, yes, Bill. Said, I hate to tell you, but you wouldn't know it. I said, is the baby's alive? But I don't know about the baby. Oh, my. I said, oh, can we get there? I said, I've got a secret road that I can take you. And we got in there late that night in the, uh, the basketball room there where the Baptist church had picked up for the, the refugees to come in. And they said she was down there. And I run through there screaming top of my voice, Hope, Hope, honey, where are you? Where are you? And I looked. Oh, I'll never forget that. Back over there on an old government cot, I seen a little bony hand raised up. That was my darling. I run to her real quick. I throw her out of Those dark eyes are sunk way back in her head. She's falling lots of weight. I said, sweetheart. She said, I look awful, don't I? I said, no, honey, is the baby alive? Yes, she said, mother has the baby. Said, Billy's been awfully sick. Sharon's a little better. And she said, I'm awfully sick. I started crying. I said, God, don't, don't take this from me. Please don't, Lord. I thought somebody touched me on the back. The doctor said, Reverend Branham? And I said, yes, sir. Come here just a minute. He said, aren't you afraid of Sam Adair? And I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, I hate to tell you this, Reverend Branham, but your wife's a dying. said, your wife's got two birthers. Sam told me to tell you just to make her comfortable and not to be excited around her. I said, she's dying, doctor. But I said, she can't, doctor. Oh, she can't do it. I said, I love her with all my heart. I'm a Christian. I said, I just, I just know she ain't going to die. I just can't think of the thoughts to think that she'd be taken away from me here. And with these two little babies, how could I stand it? He said, well, I hate to tell you, but there's nothing can be done as far as I know. I went back to her trying to brace myself up and talk to her. A few days we took her home. She just kept getting worse, worse, worse. I went to Louisville and had specialists and everything. Took her out to the hospital. Dr. Miller from the sanitarium come down and looked. He called me out one side and said, Reverend Branham. She's going to die. So there ain't nothing can be done for her, so she's, she's going to die. And I said, Dr. Miller, honest, isn't there something I can do? Could I take her to Arizona? Could I do something about said, it's too late now, Billy. So that, that, uh, that galloping two-burger said it, it kills him right away. Said her family's had it back behind there, which I knew later that they, they did. And said, she just broke with it. just got such a hold on her. Said he'd give her nematoid treatments and everything. It's just not a hold her hand. When they had borne that hole in her side to clap them lungs, so had to go over it wouldn't be done. And she'd hold my hand, and bless her heart, I'd have to almost pull her hand off of mine from suffering. Hold with it, boy, that hole in there, clapped the lungs on the side, and that two birds traveling right on up like that. And I knew she was going, and I was doing all that I could do, and I was working. I, I remember I was out, and I heard a patrol sign come through. It's a calling, William Branham, come to the hospital immediately, wife dying. I never will forget. I took off my hat. Sitting in the truck, I held up my hand and I said, Oh, Jesus, please don't let her go. Let me talk to her once more before she goes. Please do save her. I was about 20 miles away from home. I turned on the lights and everything. I went down the road real swift, stopped in front of the hospital and threw off the gun bell into the place. I went real quick. I started walking down through the Clark County Memorial Hospital. As I started down through there, I looked and I seen four little doctors there come walking down through there, his head down. God bless that man. And he 
He looked at me like that, but he did. He told his head to fly up and started crying, running for her. And I run up to him, put my arm around him. I said, Sam, is it me? He said, Billy, I'm, I'm afraid she's gone now. I said, come to with me. It's Doc. Let's go in. He said, Bill, please don't ask me to do that. I said, oh, boy, I love you. He put his arms around me. He said, I love you, Billy. He said, we've been bosom friends. He said, I can't go in with her hope again. He said, that's like my sister laying there. He said, she's baked me pies and everything. He said, how could I go in and see her going like that? He said, come in, nurse. I said, no, no, let me go myself. And nurse said, I'll take in her. He said, here's some, here's, try to give me some little old medicine there. I said, I don't want that. I walked on into the room, shut the door behind me. I looked over there. They done had the sheet pulled up over her face. I pulled that sheet down and looked. She was real thin and she's drawn up like this. I put my hands on her. Perspiration's real sticky. Her face is cold. I shoved her out for the hope, sweetheart. Please speak to me once more. I said, God have mercy. I said, never again will I think them people are trash. I'll make my stand. During that time, we both received the Holy Ghost, so. I said, please, will you, Lord? I shook her. I said, oh, please speak to me once more. And I, I shook her again like that. Those great, big, dark eyes looked up at me. She said, come here. I got down real close to where she was. She said, oh, why did you call me, honey? I said, call you? I said, sweetheart, I thought you were gone. She said, oh, Bill. About that time, the nurse ran in and said, Reverend Burton here, said, you had that little medicine? I said, no. She called the nurse, Miss Cook. She said, come here. She said, sit down just a minute. I've just got a few minutes left. And she was Hope's friend. And she was biting her lips. She said, when you get married, I hope you get a husband like mine. And that, you know how it made me feel. She said, he's been good to me. We'd love each other way to heaven. I hope you get a husband like mine. I turned my head. I couldn't stand it. There was sort of walk out of the room. I walked over to her. I said, sweetheart, you're not going to leave me, are you? And she said, oh, Bill. She said, you've talked about it. you preached about it, but you don't know how glorious it is. So just before you called me, it was something white was taking me home. I was going down to a great big place where there's pretty trees and big birds and swings. I was just perfectly at peace being taken to my home. I believe she's seen paradise as sure as I'm standing this platform. She said, you've talked about that wonderful Holy Spirit, Bill, but you don't know how wonderful it is when you come to Christ. That's the reason I'm for it, brother. I know it's real. I see it at the end of the road. Yeah, you call it only what you want to, but let me die one. That's the way I want to go. Yes, sir. He said, oh, you don't know how wonderful it is. She said, sweetheart, you know I'm going, don't you? And I said, yes. He didn't mind going. She said, oh, it's all right. Bill, I hate to leave you and the children, but oh, how wonderful that place is over there. She said, I want to go back. And she said, you know what I'm going to do? Oh, that's what killed me. I said, yes, honey, I know it. I said, if we'd have minded God instead of your mother, it wouldn't have been this way. I said, I'm going with him. Don't you worry. She said, promise me that you'll preach it as long as you live. I said, so help me, God. I said, I'll do all that I can, honey. She said, I want you to do a few things for me, will you? I said, yes, I'll, I'll try. I said, I'll do all I can. And she said, you remember that time when we was in Louisville and, and you wanted to buy that rifle to go hunting? And I just love guns. And she and it's taken $3 to make a down payment on it. And I said, yeah, I remember. She said, we didn't have the money to pay for it. And I said, no. She said, we don't. 
She said, I wanted to get you that line was so bad. She said, I've been saving for about eight months. And she said, I'll climb down when you go home, look up on the phone and made out that paper. And you'll find the money there. I know Jesus is going. 
اب وہ عزت لیتے ہیں اور کبیر اور روح تاران I went in to get this gun, I put the shells in it. 
I pulled out every bite on the gun. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm going wild. And I went about two or three weeks behind, and I 
They sent me a gun to go come get it, and I wrote them, told them they'd have to come. I remember the day they come and got my chair. Wife baked me a cherry pie, and she had all fixed for me. Now I come in, a real wife. God bless her. Her day, baby wife was snow, but I still love her. And then she, when she had this, I thought there was something happening. I went in, she was talking. She said, I helped some of the boys to dig some fish. One said, we're going down the river. She knew that I love the fish. She said, we're going down the fish tonight. I said, well, honey, what's the matter? She said, nothing. After supper, I thought something. I said, let's go in the front room. She said, no, let's go fishing first. I, I know what it was. I well got up and started walking the door. She come put her arms around me. They come got my chair. I'd work all day and preach all the night. Then I'd sit in this chair and study. Wanted to rest and go to sleep. And they'd come got it. And I owed money on it and couldn't pay it. They had to come get it. And I never will get how we felt. And she'd recognize that when we were standing talking. She said, you remember that chair they come and got? I said, yes, honey. She said, they'll never come get this one. This one's yours. She said, Sarah, they promised me you won't weary. She put her arms around me. I said, I promise you, I'm never weary again. I woke up and I was in the room. I could still feel her arms around me. But from that day to this, I haven't worried about it. They're beyond the moon. Someday I've got to go too. Each one of us has to make that journey here. Oh, my life, brother, sister. Scarred and cut. Went through a stream of poverty and Tears that pays the way behind me. You don't realize, no wonder sometimes it sacks the very life from me. But today, I'm trying to be as reverent as I can be before I'm trying my best coming right back, showing up, saying people that was considered trash at one time. Still, my brother and sister, and I love them with all my heart, and I'm taking that gift and going day and night. Even here, two weeks when it's me, got me to a place I had about an hour and something sleep last night. Right there, I'm keeping my promise to God just for the last part of the country wherever I can go with a reverent, sincere heart. I want to serve God until the day He calls me home. There's a beautiful home all over the sea somewhere. Some woman said to me not long ago, said, Brother Ben, when you go get some rest? I said, when I cross over the river. I got a home over there, a loved one. I got a chair to sit in. I'm going to cross over one of these days. She told me Sunday, she said, you're so tired, aren't you? And I said, yes, yeah. you've been praying for the sick so much. I've never been for the sick like that before. So one of these days, sitting on the platform like this, God will open up the windows. I'll be a baby and a woman, taking a lot of but he won't turn me down. I'll cross over his shirt, I'm telling you, if I can only prove faithful to my Savior and my queen, he will better me than I believe. Don't you believe that? We'll be faithful. That's right. Time is filled with swift translation. Not all the move can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal hold to God's unchanging hand. Friends may come and go. And they growing dear. Precious love linger dear. And my life is almost gone. After a little God might be hold my hand. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me home. Let me not listen to the Lord, but to my Savior. Be my faithful to Him. Someday He'll guide me to the other side. I trust that every one of you here, friends, there's one of you who's not ready to meet God. Listen to me as I speak to you in the name of the Lord. 
You got the good opportunity now. You got a wonderful time to come and accept Him. But my Bible over my heart, someday everything that you've ever done in this life will be not unless you give your life to Christ. Come with me. If you allow me, let us go together. There wait for me a glad tomorrow. Sing it with me. Wait a day.
all right, that's okay. That's all right. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right,